Hey, what's up, Oasis family? Hope you are great. Hope you're doing awesome. Thank you for watching again online, coming together as a church community to worship God. Uh, if you are watching for the very first time, I'm so glad that you're here. We're in a series called Family Values. We truly believe the word is clear that the church is supposed to be more than an organization. It's supposed to be a family, and all good families have good values. Matter of fact, all great families have great family values. Most of us grew up, and there was either uh, a value or something that was passed on. I'm not talking about a tradition. And this is important we understand that a lot of times, Churches, if we're not careful, we can lean more into family traditions, uh, things that we do more than family values. Values are who we are. Traditions are is what we do. And I really feel like God is wanting us in this season to know the difference between a family tradition and a family value. We do this all the time because this is just what we do. Sometimes anybody have a, a hobby or a habit like that? You don't even know why you do it. It's just a tradition and you just do it. Every holiday, this is what we do. It is more important that we understand who we are uh, than what we do. And so we've been going through these family values and uh, going through We Give Together, which is one of our values. Uh, we went through We Eat Together, which is one of our values. And we've really been uh, uh, just, uh, we just stopped and posted right here in this one value, we worship together. And I really felt that the Lord wanted me to go through the tabernacle in the Old Testament, the place where God um, set up his presence in the wilderness, uh, in between the the bondage of Egypt and the promised land that he had called them to, they were in the wilderness and God set up a tabernacle, a portable temple, if you will, to host the presence of God. And there was rules and regulations that were released to teach God, Israel how to host and, and be in God's presence. And so uh, it really was all about worship. And out of all of our family values, the fact that we worship together, we don't get that right we don't get anything right. So the first week of going through, we worship together. We went through the uh, the gate. We talked about entering his gates with thanksgiving. And when we spent some time in the courtyard, which we're still in the courtyard this week, and two weeks in a row, we talked about the altar where they would sacrifice an animal to remove the sins of the people. And last week, y'all, we talked about the fire. I pray that God has reignited your fire for him, your fire for your purpose through the sermon last week. And if you didn't get a chance to catch up on it, please do, because it will encourage you. So this week, we are still in the courtyard. We have another piece of holy furniture that I believe is going to bless you. And it is called the brazen laver, the brazen laver. That is spelled L-A-V-E-R, the brazen laver. And I want to encourage you that as we go through these furniture pieces, that is wildly important that for this particular sermon, I want you to take notes. I've never said that before. Never in my life have I asked for someone to take notes. And I'm suggesting today that you take notes because there's going to be a lot of scripture and some of this stuff you're going to have to reflect on. Um, Oftentimes when we try to take everything in in a sermon and we don't have that time where we reflect back, matter of fact, there are connect groups in our church where we just reflect back on the word that was preached. And I'm hearing that great things are happening in those groups. And so this week is the brazen laver or the brass laver. Everything, by the way, in the courtyard, the metal that was used was brass and everything in the inner sanctuary, the metal was gold. How cool is that for us to know that the deeper we progress into the presence of God, the more provision gets enhanced. So outside of the presence, everything was brass. Everything inside the tabernacle uh, was gold. And so there was a difference 
as you progress deeper. Some people want to progress deeper in their calling. Some people want to progress deeper in their job, uh, deeper in their knowledge of something, which all those things are amazing. But this is about what happens to the believer as they progress into the presence of God and in deeper relationship with Jesus. And so this thing called the brass or brazen laver, this is the point where we need to understand that only the priest could touch this thing. In Israel, everyone was allowed to go through the gate. If you considered yourself a follower of God and you were from Israel, everyone was allowed to go in the gate. Everyone could hang out in the courtyard. Everyone was responsible for a sacrifice, but only the priest was able to touch this brass uh, laver or this uh, brazen laver. And so I want uh, you to turn to Exodus 30, verses 17 through 21, so we can hear some ex- instructions the Lord gave to Moses about this. He says, then the Lord said to Moses, make a bronze wash basin with a bronze stand. Place it between the tabernacle and the altar and fill it with water. Aaron and his sons will wash, his ha- will wash their hands and feet there. They must wash with water whenever they go into the tabernacle to appear before the Lord and when they approach the altar to burn up their special gifts to the Lord or they will die. Oh, that's pretty harsh. I guess these guys are in ministry and God's going, hey, by the way, you don't do this, you're dead. Like it seems like it's harsh, but the Bible says to whom much is given, much is required. And I think we're in a season, I know specifically for me, where God is saying, hey, if I gave you a lot, I'm requiring a lot. Oftentimes, people who are given a lot make a mistake, and they want to act like they're just normal people like everyone else. They want the same grace that the sinner in the courtyard gets. But now, as you progress, and you know that you know that you know what you're supposed to be doing, there are heavier consequences for people who call themselves ministers and priests. The Bible says, not everyone should be a teacher, for you will be strictly judged. And so what happens when we strictly judge someone in leadership who has a failure? Yes, there should be grace, but the Bible's clear. He never talked about death when people are chilling at the gate. But as soon as you get to this thing, hey, y'all better wash your hands or somebody die. I mean, in, in COVID, it was serious. Like, wash your hands for real. But this was spiritual. Wash your hands or someone dies. And he says, this is a permanent law for Aaron and his descendants to be observed from generation to generation. I want to read one more verse because I think this is probably the most unfollowed verse in all of Scripture. Can I say that? For every believer. Exodus 19, 6. And you will be my kingdom of priests, my holy nation. This is the message you must give to the people of Israel. So this example that we are seeing that only the priests could do, God is saying eventually through relationship with Jesus, I'm going to give every believer this responsibility. So the purpose of the brazen laver or the brass laver is to give God's people a prophecy about what's supposed to happen in their lives before they progress deeper in the present, or that would, would spark a deeper progression in relationship and a deeper progression into the uh, presence of God. This is what's supposed to happen. The, the priests were to, to wash their hands. This is uh, different because last week I talked about how the sacrifice cleansed them from sin. We would lay hands on the, the priest would lay hands on the sacrifice, transferring the sin from the person to the animal and the animal would be killed representing the cleansing of sin. And so this washing of the hands, they would literally just uh, stand over it, 
and wash their hands. And sometimes a servant would come and pour the waters over their hands if there was a, a prophet. But this represented getting ready for service. So in order to get ready to have relationship with Jesus, you need your sins removed. But this was something they did. In the Old Testament, the animal removed their sins. God removed their sins because of the death of the animal. But this was a symbolic act that there were things from your life you needed to remove. The presence of God did not show up and wash their hands. They had to wash their own hands. And this prepared them for service. One of the things that I feel so called to is to prepare you to serve. Every purpose or every calling that you say that you have is not to serve you, it is to serve others. Jesus came to serve and to be a ransom for many. So everything he did was out of service, not leadership, service. And I think we throw the word leader around a lot and the word servant around a little bit. Moses, the Bible says, when he died, God said, Moses, my servant, is dead. He didn't say, Moses, my leader was dead. He said, Moses, my servant was dead. So the washing of the hands was symbolic to cleanse you and prepare you for service. So let me just break it down this way so you really understand, because I don't want to confuse anybody who's like, wait, the tabernacle, the bronze laver, is that the altar prepared you for relationship with God. Because you cannot have a relationship with God unless your sins are removed. Praise Jesus for that. The brazen laver prepared you for action. So the sacrifice represents what Jesus did. The washing of the hands represents what you do in preparation to serve him. Do you have a big dream in your life and you are not cleaning things out of your life to prepare for the things God wants to bring in? Here's the thing. We all instinctively clean our house when we know someone's coming. Have you ever invited someone over and like you clean your whole house and you pretend you live that way? Is anybody else like that? Where you clean up your whole house and pretend you live this way? Uh, When my wife goes out of town, uh, she's done this a few times over the years we've been married and leaves me at home with the kids. We live in pure filth. Honey, I want you to know, we live in pure filth while you're gone. Uh, We don't eat anything healthy. There's stuff everywhere. We live in pure filth until my wife returns. But I promise you, on the day that I know my wife is coming back, when she's coming back in the evening, that dinner, y'all, is baked chicken, broccoli. We've been eating pizza three days straight, and I clean the house so when my wife walks in, she believes we've been living that way. Now, if my wife ever, one time my wife, I think, said she'll be home. Hey, I'm 15 minutes out. Boy, I was throwing stuff everywhere. trying to. We instinctively clean things up when we know someone is coming. When we know someone's coming. This brazen labor, this is so good, y'all. I hope this sermon teaches you to clean things up when you know something is coming. Can I say that again? We instinctively clean things up when we know someone's coming, but we need to clean things up when we know something is coming. 
We've been talking about this as a leadership team. I've been talking about this with my friends. What are you prepared to clean up in your heart and clean up in your life? Because you know something is coming and you can't have that thing operating in you when you know that thing that God has spoken over your life is coming. You clean up when someone's coming, but you don't clean up when something is coming. And God is saying, if we're going to go to the promised land, there's some things we need to clean up. This is good, wholesome, truthful preaching. 2 Corinthians 6 verses 16 through 17 says, what agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will live with them and walk among them and I will be their God and they will be my people. And verse 17 says, therefore, come out from them and be separate, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing and I will receive you. So he's saying the hands in scripture, it doesn't literally mean, oh, you touch something nasty. In the Old Testament, they weren't allowed to touch defiled things. You couldn't touch dead animals. You couldn't touch certain things. And it was symbolic and prophetic that if we are prepared for service, there's certain things we can't touch. I, I, I don't, I don't, people, somebody asked me the other day, do I think smoking is bad? No, I think God is good. I'm not focused on what bad, there's certain things that I can't touch because I know where I'm going and I know what God's called me to. And so I don't touch it because it's bad. I touch it because I know where I'm going. If there are people coming, there's some things I got to clean up. If someone's coming, but if something is coming, there's something I got to clean up too. And I know something, even God has done so much more from so much for me. He's done so much for you, but something more is coming. So I got to clean some things up for the things that are coming into my life. So there's those, those are reasons why I don't do anything. So he says, touch no uh, unclean thing um, and I will receive you. And I don't do certain things over that. And there are certain things that I still do that I'm like, I got to get rid of that thing. I got to get rid of that habit. I got to get rid of that thought. I got to get rid of that because something is coming. Put in the chat, something's coming. Something's coming. And, and I really believe it is. And 2 Corinthians 7 verse 1 continues to say, therefore, since we have these promises, what do you do when God promises you something? And I feel like we just wait for God to give it to us. And we get mad when it's slowing down. And we know we got a prophecy. Hey, I need you to take care of this before I bring this. We don't take care of it. And then we get mad at God that it's taking so long. <laughs> like we just hot. Like, God, where are you? He said, I told you. Therefore, since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. Why? Because when God gives you a promise, your body Everything you are is the vessel to bring the promise to pass. So he says, before I can give you that, I got to clean up the vessel. And it says, you purify yourselves if you're waiting for something to come. And so what does this word pure mean? Why are they washing their hands? What did this purity symbolize? And I feel like purity has been robbed from the Bible, from judgmental Christians, where the only time we talk about purity is sex, where if we don't have sex with somebody, we're being pure. I remember, I, I've said this before, man, like some, some, some of y'all, low-key, it was a lot easier for me to be pure. Like I'm not as handsome as some of these other people. I, did, I had less options. So when I was in, in high school, like it was a little bit easier for me to be pure. You know what I mean? Like, it, it, it just was. Like, you, you never going to put your, I had a great personality, but you're never going to put your boy on the cover of uh, GQ. It just wasn't going to happen. But there are certain people where that's a bigger struggle for them. And then the church, we just kind of like lock in on that version of purity. 
But when they were washing their hands, it had nothing to do with that type of purity, although that type of purity is important. It had to do with they were preparing themselves for service to God. Have you ever heard that? That purity prepares you to serve God? We don't talk about that. We think purity helps make God happy. No, God's already happy. He got happy with the perfect sacrifice. So now washing of the hands spiritually or ceremonially is not about keeping God happy because the sacrifice made God happy. The sacrifice made you justified. The sacrifice made you righteous. Jesus died for you, so God and you are already good. So why would you clean up your life? It has nothing to do with God at this point because Jesus' blood on the cross removed your sins. So why do you spiritually and metaphorically wash things out of your life to progress. They were getting ready to go in. They were progressing into the glory of God. And where the glory of God was revealed, the people of God were blessed. That's what it was about. And so this word purity means to be unmixed, undesirable elements, spiritually spiritually clean because God is purged from those things. Another definition is free from the contaminating influences of sin. And so I want to give you a few things. Uh, if you're still taking notes, I hope that you are. Uh, give you some time to find a pen that works. That's what always happens when I'm like trying to take notes. I can never find a pen that works. Um, but I want to give you a few things that I believe in my brief but yet uh, a full time of pastoring that I have seen people need to pure themselves, purify themselves in. Number one is we need pure hearts. We need pure hearts. Matthew 5 verse 8 says, blessed are the pure at heart for they shall see God. And that word, by the way, see God, doesn't mean blessed are the pure at hearts because one day they'll be walking down the street and they'll go, wow, Jesus, is that you? It's not, it's not that. Because sometimes we got to be careful that we don't take words literal. Always look up, if you're in the New Testament, the Greek meaning of a word. And if you're Old Testament, look up the Hebrew meaning in the world and of the word. Because sometimes we read this and like, I feel like my heart's pure, but I haven't seen God. No, no, no. That means your heart's not pure. Because that word, for they shall see God, means they won't miss. Most of the time when there's purity of heart issues, people are missing where God's moving. They're going, I can't see God. No, no, no. It's not that God's not doing anything. It's because your heart's not pure. You're missing the place where God is doing something. And because your heart is not pure, you're wanting God to do something. When you say, I can't see what God's doing, you're talking about a specific area, aren't you? You're talking about this area of my life. And God is like, but if your heart was pure, you would see, here is the freaking greatest motivator to continue to follow God. When while you're waiting on God to move in the area that you want him to move, you can see him moving in other areas. If we are actually healthy adults, we're encouraged when God is moving in Grace's life, even though we're having a hard time seeing him move in mine. But God is moving. When we pray for revival as pastors, we're never talking about Hillsong. We're talking about us. Like I'm now, when we say we're believing for revival and then the church grows in China, or Pakistan, we sit down and we have a meeting. Hey, our church isn't growing. We've been praying for revival. What do you think it is? And God's like, yeah, I, I, I answered your prayer, just not there. And so can you rejoice at what I'm doing somewhere else? That's what he's saying. That's the pure heart. You'll be able to see God. And when's the last time we've like, man, did you hear what happened to Michelle? 
What happened to Ms. Rachel? She got the promotion and you ain't got a pay raise in five years and you're rejoicing about someone else's promotion. God will go, I need to give that person a raise. Why? Because I'm trying to exalt the purity of their heart. Man. Yeah, you, if you keep your heart pure, you will see God. And a pure heart and a clean hands, which we're talking about in the, 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 the uh, brass Labor is really closely associated. Look at Psalms 24, verses four through five. He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully, he will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. He will receive blessing from the Lord. Is anybody believing for blessing from the Lord? Then you need to be purified on the inside and your service to God needs to be purified which means your motives. Why do you do what you do? Why would God let you book an audition or go on tour or, or, or be the CEO? And he knows it's about you. He's, it's not, it's service. The servant who has a clean hand and a pure heart. And this, by the way, this is where you start to feel lonely. Because by the way, the courtyard up until this point, there was a crowd. Everybody was doing it. Are you doing the things in your faith that everybody's doing? When you get to the man, when you get to this point where you're at the brass labor, that's just you. All the homies with their lambs are gone. When you're progressing this deep in God's calling, when you're progressing this deep in the purposes of God, you will find less people here. The deeper I go with God, the more that the crowd that was with me or the people who were there, the less of them that are there. Because this time, it's just me. And, and if, you, if you are not willing to do things where on some days it feels like, is this just me? Am I the only one that cares about this? Am I the only one that this matters to? Until you get to that place in your life, you're probably not even doing enough for God until you feel like you're lonely. If you feel like you're lonely, you are doing the exactly what God has called you to do because the crowd isn't there. And I want to encourage you, if you're losing friends in this season, if you're feeling lonely in this season, God lost a third of heaven. If heaven loses people, you will too. The Bible says the angels were swept a third of heaven. I still got a third of my friends. I'm doing good. God lost a third. If you got more than a third, if you haven't lost a third yet, you're doing great. You're doing better than God. Can I say that, Lord? Jesus lost disciples. People lost friends. Paul and Barnabas got in an argument so sharp. Not everybody's going to be there when you're going to this place. It was The priest would have been surrounded by people. But at this point where he's talking about, I'm about to clean some stuff out of your life. Oh, really? You're going to stop drinking? Really? You're going to stop smoking? Oh, really? You ain't going to be hanging out all night? Really? Oh, really? You're going to settle down in a healthy relationship and stop hanging out with the homies all the time? Oh, really? What about us? People love to hold you back to make themselves feel like they're moving forward. They love it. And so if you are in this season are trying to cure your loneliness, if you're trying to cure your loneliness, you're bringing sickness to your purpose. (laughs) Should I throw it? I said, if you spend all your time Trying to cure your loneliness, you're probably bringing sickness and disease to your purpose. They're just washing their hands by themselves, representing what are the things I need to get out of my life. David said this right after he sinned, right after he sinned, 
He didn't try to make sure no one knew about it. He didn't try. He said, Psalm 51, verse 10, create in me a pure heart, O God, renew a steadfast spirit. Let my spirit be consistent. David prayed. See, some of you are, you're a really great spirit-filled person. David didn't say, I'm bad, make me good. He prayed that what was good in him would remain consistent and disciplined. So it's not that we're not, we're, we're inherently just maybe, you know, do it, is that we need to pray that God would give us some discipline and some consistency because it is being able to do something over and over again for extended periods of time. Some of us are praying for a big thing and God's saying, no, do a small thing a long time until it becomes a big thing. That's a lot of times how things become big in our life. So David was like, no, I need a steadfast spirit creating me a pure heart. So how do we create this purification. First uh, Peter gives us a clue in First Peter 1 through tw- uh, verse 22. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. So obedience helps keep our hearts pure. Obedience to God. It's the emptying out and the resistant to the desires of the flesh and not making our desires our identity, but our, our identity is who God says we are, which is sons and daughters. And so it's not that there's not other di- uh, identities. I'm black. You could have this identity and sexuality. You know, somebody could be Asian. But once we make that identity the main one and all things flow out of that identity, we actually separate ourselves from our true identity, which I'm God's child. And that identity consumes all other identities and that those identities live in this one. And that's the way it works. So you don't make your job your identity. You don't make anything your identity. This is your identity and it swallows up all other identities. That's why it says there's no male, there's no female, Jew or Gentile, for we are all one in Christ Jesus. So when we start to separate ourselves to, to, in identities, and we don't embrace someone who had, who is different than us because we're all one in Christ Jesus, then we're saying, my identity is a Christian. Your identity is not being a Christian. Your identity is that you're all one in Christ. One, we're the body. You're a thumb in the body. No matter what you do, you ain't nothing more than a thumb. You ain't nothing more than a thumb. You are nothing more than a thumb. Like you could be awesome and you're still a thumb. You're still a finger. You're still an elbow. Like without other people, you're nothing. And that's why we need a pure heart. Another way we um, to confirm that, Psalm 19 verse 9 says, how can a young man keep his way pure by guarding it according to your word? Another thing we need to keep pure, uh, everybody write that down, a pure heart, and write down some of those verses. We can revisit them a little later. Another thing we need is pure thoughts. Ooh, pure thoughts. Philippians 4 verse 8 says, And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Stop thinking about bad stuff. Stop thinking about stuff that, like, is negative. It says, fix your, like, don't, don't fix your thoughts on what is pure. Don't fix your thoughts on what you need to fix. Fix your thoughts on what is true, honorable, right, and pure. When's the last time you spent more than 10 minutes thinking about something good? Like, we love, we love thinking about problems. Oh, Lord, what I got to do today? What I, what I got to do? What I got to do? Um, but it says, no, fix your thoughts on what is pure. I want you to give you this challenge. Spend 10 minutes a day thinking about something good. That's praiseworthy, honorable, and right. 
Spend 10 minutes a day thinking about that about yourself, a person, and a thing. Yourself, a person, a thing, and then throw God in there too. God, you're so good. Like, like you know what I mean? If you don't mind, but we're consumed with negative thoughts. We meditate on, on, David said, let the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you. What I'm thinking about, let, it, let that be pleasing to you. Because some of us go, hey, love you. And we don't meditate on the fact that we love. Man, I really love. Man, I really love. Man, I really love them. Like, think about it. We need to keep our thoughts pure. Um, here's what a, a dangerous trap Titus said. Come on, Titus. Verse 1 through 15. He says this, to the pure, all things are pure. But to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. You ever met that person that does just never be happy? Because they're not pure. It says, to the pure, all things are pure. So purity restores innocence. God wants to use your purity to restore the innocence that was stolen from you when you were a kid. You get to this age where you're not innocent. And so God doesn't want you to be pure to make him happy. The pure sacrifice made God happy. We have got to stop telling people that it's their purity that honors God. No, it is the sacrifice that honored God. A pure sacrifice. Your purity prepares you for service. And I've seen people in their calling be trapped in between the altar and the tabernacle, wandering. This verse alone is the reason while Israel traveled 40 years uh, to the promised land when it was an 11-day journey. It is this brass labor that will get you there in 11 days instead of 40 years. If it's taking a long time, address your purity. Address your purity. It says to the pure, all things are pure, but to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. Wow. If you're not pure, nothing is. Everything's bad. We just got to get better. This has got to get better. I'm sick of this. We need to be pure. We need pure thoughts. The third and final thing is pure wisdom. Ooh, we need some pure wisdom, y'all. There is some nasty, dirty, stank COVID-19 wisdom out there. Like you just, your wisdom has respiratory droplets just coming off. This is nasty. Just spit and nasty. Your wisdom is stuffed up, clogged, coughing and hacking. Just nasty. It says there is worldly wisdom and godly wisdom. James 3, verse 15 through 17 says, for jealousy and selfishness are not God's kind of wisdom. Such things are earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. So there's demonic wisdom? There's demonic wisdom, y'all? Here's demonic wisdom. For wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition... There you will find disorder and evil of every kind. So there's demonic wisdom. The next verse says the difference between demonic wisdom and godly wisdom. But the wisdom from above is first of all pure. In order for wisdom to be pure, it has to come from heaven. Some of us have wisdom that comes from hell. We give somebody advice in the attempt to condemn them or because we're frustrated with them or we're disappointed in them. That wisdom is from the kingdom of hell. The wisdom that comes from heaven. And by the way, your wisdom that comes from hell is the same thing. You could be saying the same thing as someone's wisdom who comes from heaven. You're actually right, but where it comes from makes it wrong. 
Is water water? If I give you a sip of water right now, and you say, hey, I'm thirsty, can you grab me some water? And I go get the water, right? And you drink the water. And I go, man, that's crazy how you just swigging that water that came from the toilet. You're like, I didn't know it came from the toilet. I assumed that when I asked for water, you were going to a pure place. So when I asked for wisdom, but really you're hating on me and you're trying to bring me down, I'm asking for wisdom the same way I'm asking for water. I'm asking for wisdom with the assumption that you ain't going to hell to get it because you're jealous, because you're critical. This is good stuff, man. It says wisdom from above is first of all pure. It is also peace-loving, gentle at all times, <laughs> and willing to yield to others. True heavenly wisdom doesn't get mad. This is where I, this is my, mine, my wisdom does not come from hell except for this area. When I think I know what someone should be doing, I'm never willing to yield. That is demonic, hellish wisdom. So I don't know, and and my wife talked, I don't know sometimes if I feel like I'm white, uh, white, I don't never feel like I'm white. If I feel like I'm right, white is all right. If I feel like I'm right with my wife, sometimes I'm not willing to yield. That is demonic wisdom. Not that we just, I'm going to just throw this out there, right? And it's also full of mercy and the fruit of good deeds. It shows no favoritism and is always sincere. We need to do a Bible study on pure wisdom. Just because this is so important that we understand. And all this really goes back to uh, this brass uh, laver that represented the priests purifying themselves to get ready for service. And so while I'm not on Sunday services, or I'm not asking you to get up from the what you're watching right now and go in to wash your hands. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about these three prophetic things that I have seen that if we are willing to purify ourselves in these three prophetic things, there is going to be, can I prophesy over you? There's going to be such an incredible move of God. If you would say, Lord, show me how to purify my heart, by obeying your truth. Show me how to purify my thoughts by thinking about things that are worthy of praise. And please, God, let me not be the critical judgmental person with hellish demonic wisdom. Help me get a pure wisdom that is peace-loving, gentle at all times, and willing to yield to others. We see this in the political space where people are just not willing to yield on anything to each other. And I really believe that this is destroying God's people. So what if today, this prophetic moment of you washing your hands, preparing for service to God in whatever space you're called to, is saying, today, Lord, I'm committing to let you help me with my heart, let you purify my heart, let you purify my thoughts by what I think about. I'm going to spend 10 minutes a day thinking about things that are pure and worthy of praise. And God, where I've been judgmental and critical of others, even when I know I'm right, I'm going to ask you to purify my wisdom. If the church was pure in these three ways, y'all, we're going to see revival in everything God has called us to do. Can I pray for you today? Father, I thank you so much that as we prophetically and spiritually wash our hands, preparing for service, representing being pure as we enter into the holy things of God and our purpose and our calling is holy, that you would help us purify those three areas, purify our hearts, purify our thoughts, and purify our wisdom. 
And God, as I believe, as we embrace this, Lord, you're going to do a mighty thing in our lives, things that no eye has seen, no ear has heard. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Love y'all so much. Can't wait to see you soon. We got a great a few more um, series on uh, services on this and, and messages on this. And I'm excited to continue to progress deeper in the tabernacle. Love y'all so much. And I'll see you soon.